Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy, the podcast I created because I felt I needed a safe space. I felt like people needed safe spaces. I felt I needed a safe space to be who I was and to meet people where they are and to see and hear people and, and truly connect with humans because I feel human connection is is the the best thing we can do in life. And what sweet serendipity this episode is all about creating safe spaces for people to be seen and heard. And it is with my wonderful guest, Lisa Oliveira. You guys, if you haven't heard of Lisa, you may possibly have been living in a cave somewhere, eating canned chickpeas. Possibly. I don't know. I'm not judging. But I will say that Lisa is a superstar, but she's also human, like us, which is the beautiful thing about her. She's at Lisa Oliveira Therapy on Instagram. Go follow her. Uh, Her content and her heart inspires me every day, and I'm so grateful to have Lisa on the show today. Uh, What did we talk about? We talked about, in this episode, we talk about the identity struggle of adoptees. Lisa shares her uh, adoption story and and being abandoned as a two-day-old baby. We talk about why healing is nonlinear and messy. We talk about Lisa being featured in the New York freaking times. And again, the need for all of us to create safe spaces for each other. Before we get to the episode, though, with my guest, Lisa Oliveira, please make sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, at YouMeEmpathy. We also have a Facebook group. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash YouMeEmpathy. Go there and join the lovely private group. Uh, I also have a Patreon page where you can uh, support the show for as little as 25 cents an episode or a buck a month. Uh, and you get free content, and I'll send you maybe some stickers and other little things here and there. And uh, again, that's at patreon.com slash empathy. Okay, let's uh, let's get to the episode, right? Let's, let's get to episode 84 with my amazing guest, the wonderful feely human and Instagram poet, Lisa Oliveira.
Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm beyond the moon ebullient to share space with licensed marriage and family therapist, acceptance and compassion creator, fellow INFJ, and recently dubbed Instagram poet by the New York freaking Times, it's Lisa Oliveira. Hello, Lisa. (laughs) Hi, that was (laughs) a really sweet introduction and makes me feel very vulnerable. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's start there. Why are you feeling vulnerable about that? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's just been... It's just a huge reminder of how seen my work is right now, which has been something that I have been working through a lot the last many months. Um, But it was also a reminder that it's actually allowing me to connect with people, which is one of my values. And so, yeah, I I appreciate your words there. (laughs) Uh, Well, you're very welcome. And that is very well said. It's often the two things, right? Or more than two things, but it's often the the anxiety of it, the what does this mean, the more attention, and with that comes some stress maybe, but it's also the connecting point. Like, that's a good reminder for me. Like, I know that with this podcast brings some attention, some, you know, maybe interactions that I wouldn't have had otherwise that maybe maybe uncomfortable, maybe out of my comfort zone, but ultimately it you know, it's about connecting to other humans. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think so often there's an agenda or a motive or something put on top of that Mm. innate desire that we all have. And Mm -hmm. I love that you're just really moving that to the forefront of what you're doing and making that one of the huge focal points of your podcast and your work and the conversations that you have. I think it's so beautiful and so needed. And I don't often see this kind of work being discussed in this way, like for the purpose of connection and reducing stigma and creating a sense of safety within vulnerability. And I think it's so important. Well, that's very sweet of you. And look at you already showing your heart and being very sweet and kind. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, so, you know, we'll get into the whole New York Times things, you know, maybe toward the end if you're, if you're, if you want to, but I, just for the listener's sake, that, that uh, New York Times mention thing, um, Lisa was recently featured in New York Times and, uh, and it's amazing. And I think it's, uh, it, it's well-deserved and it should be applauded and it's beautiful, despite the fact that it may bring some you know, nerves and uh, anxiety. Uh, I still think it's well-deserved, and I'll make sure to link that that article uh, in the show notes for you listeners. So, 
Lisa, before we get into your story, uh, well, let's do an emotional check-in. How, how are you feeling? How's your week been? Uh, how are you feeling in this moment? Yeah, in this moment, I'm feeling, I mentioned this before we started recording, but I, yeah, went for a walk this morning and I went for a really long walk yesterday and I feel like I've been just kind of slowing down this weekend and tapping back into myself after kind of a wild week with the article coming out and other places contacting me about the article and just lots more human contact outside of my clients <laughs> that I'm that I'm used to. And so it was sort of, yeah, a whirlwind. And I identify as a highly sensitive person. So yeah, this weekend, I found myself just really noticing that I need to slow down and tune in and yeah, kind of reconnect with myself after the week. And so right now I'm feeling, yeah, I'm feeling the result of taking that time for myself and feeling just grounded and, and also just excited to have this conversation with you. Well, lovely. You know, um, how do you like, cause I, I relate to that, the feeling of being, yeah, I'm very much a highly sensitive person as well. And I, I, I get, and we get very stirred by stigma or stirred by not stigma, a stimuli, you mm -hmm. know, external and internal. And, and it, it could be, you know, negative forces, positive forces, whatever you want to call them, just stirred, we're stirred, you know, and, mm -hmm. and with that comes uh, some, you know, for me, at least it comes some, some with some hyperactivity, it comes with some anxiety, it comes with some forgetting about my body and forgetting mm -hmm. about listening to my body. What is it? What does that specifically look like for you when you're at the sort of peak of that sort of feeling when you're like, oh, okay, I need to really reconnect. Yeah, there's just a feeling of sort of similar to what you said, just a lot of disconnection from myself and a lot of absence of feeling present and feeling grounded, mm. which is so important to me. And, and I really notice it when I'm not. Um, and it can look like, like, not feeling fully present where I am, not feeling connected to how I'm feeling, you know, realizing that there's like aches in my body that I might have totally been missing, yeah. realizing I, I haven't taken a deep breath in a while. Um, I tend to, yeah, like forget to do some of the things that I that I normally do to sustain myself throughout the day when I'm busy or overstimulated or when things come up in my schedule that I wasn't anticipating or when things are busier, um, I generally just don't have as much time to, to reconnect and to process and to check in with myself. And so that, yeah, it can kind of build up and almost form like, I almost visualize it as like a layer of <laughs> something covering myself that I have to sort of consciously remove and let down, which yeah. re reconnecting to myself usually helps with. But yeah, it's like it's a buildup. It's, right, it's just a right. buildup that we need to shed, you know, mm -hmm. kind of pare down like cuticles or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how I picture it, actually. Hmm. Do you ever find, because I, I found myself doing this, so... I find myself in this place. I feel like I need to ground myself. So for me, it's very much 
you know, like what you do, I go for walks, I go hiking, I go running. I just, I need to be out in nature. Mm-hmm. And the, the, that's the right action for me and the right intent. And yet there are, there is on occasion times where I find myself even in that grounding practice, like rushing it because mm-hmm. I'm still ruled by whatever preceded it, you know, the sort of mania of whatever preceded it, the hecticness of that, what, you know, whatever brought me to that, you know, feeling that I need that grounding practice. Do you ever find yourself in that? Oh my gosh, completely. Even this morning I was walking with my partner and he, he was like, whoa, let's slow down. Like you're walking <laughs> so fast. And that happens a lot. If we go for a walk after work or if, yeah, if we're doing something together, I often don't even notice how quick I'm moving and how I'm still kind of in that sort of go, go, go mode that I'm trying to tap out of by doing these practices that are grounding for me. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I, yeah, I don't even realize that it's happening. And when it's pointed out to me, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm speed walking right now and I'm not (laughs) even noticing what's around me. So it's a good reminder that, yeah, sometimes doing these practices that are intended to be supportive or grounding or, or help us reconnect to ourselves, if they're done without applying mindfulness and awareness and presence, it's, it often kind of misses the cue that we're actually needing. So sometimes I do need those reminders (laughs) from external sources to, yeah, just bring some awareness to what I'm doing and and why. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a great reminder of like how important the the two components are the mo- the body and mind. Like they mm-hmm. they work together and we need them to work together. Otherwise, we're missing out. Right, right. And it's so easy to only connect to one or the other and forget how mm-hmm. interconnected they are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah. How are you feeling? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Look at you being a therapist. Um, <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, that's the legal disclaimer. She's not being a therapist. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely do- curious. Yes, I appreciate that. Um, I'm doing pretty well. So, you know, also before we started recording, I mentioned that uh, just yesterday we had an open house, which is essentially a housewarming, but also we kind of look at it as an opportunity for neighbors and friends to just pop in when they want to and see the house they haven't seen yet. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, no sort of commitment, no commitment to, you know, bringing us gifts or anything like that. And it actually went really well. Um, Mm -hmm. The lead up to it, it was a lot of work, you know, getting the house cleaned and prepped and you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and also the lead up uh, for someone like me, who's an introvert, uh, there's some anxiety about being a host, you know, you have mm-hmm. to kind of just kind of show up and be present and, and, and sort of listen and be engaged. And, uh, you know, when you're doing that in a group of people, even people you care about and love and it's draining. It's very draining. So I'm feeling tired this morning, but also very grateful that so many people showed up and were genuinely in love with our house, which mm-hmm. makes me feel really loved and and warm and um, yeah, just loved, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you had that experience. And I can imagine how exhausting it was <laughs> as as amazing and, and wonderful as it probably also was. Yeah, yeah. especially as an introvert, mm-hmm. that can definitely take a lot out of you. So I'm glad that it went well. And I hope that you have some time to rest later today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. We call our house the Cottage of Whimsy. Uh, oh, I love it, that. Thank you. It's a it's an old house built in the 30s. It's white. It has some it has some it has some cottagey feel. Some sort of weird, you know, not weird, but like some it has some charming sort of antique elements about it. It's very small. Um, you know, we have three, you know, 100 plus year old oak trees mm. you know, on the property. It's it's very it's kind of a in this pocket of weird ruralness in Orange County, which you don't think rural when you think Orange County, but it's a, kind of this great pocket of charming weird that we just uh, adore. Mm, that sounds so lovely. It is. It is. And for someone like you and me, Lisa, it's right next to a regional park. So I can just walk right into the park. It's wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. That's the dream. (laughs) I have a lot of parks, like a 10 minute drive, which I feel so fortunate to have. And how incredible that you can just walk right over when you need it. Yeah, it is great. It is great. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, Lisa, let's, uh, let's get into your story. Um, I like to ask my guests to kind of just kick off. Could you give me so when you think about who you are today and where you are at now in your own sort of mental health journey and looking back on your experiences and looking back on your childhood and looking back on your young adulthood, are there a couple of seminal moments that, that really stick out to you as being memorable and, and kind of important sort of milestones in your, in your journey you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think yeah, for me, one of the most important parts of my mental health journey and just my journey as a person is how how my journey started and the story that was formed around that within myself. It really impacted so much of my life and so much of my own perception of who I was and and how I thought about my life and how I internalized certain things. Um and yeah, it started when I I was abandoned when I was born. I was left in the middle of a field, um, and I was luckily found by a couple who happened to be bird watching out there. And they called the ambulance, and I was brought to a hospital. Um, and I was very luckily healthy. Um, and a few days later, I went home with a couple who ended up adopting me. And I was always told that I was adopted and I was always told that, you know, that what was it's what was meant to happen and, and I should be grateful for it and I shouldn't need to know where I came from because I have a family now. And, and so for a while I sort of just pushed it down and didn't acknowledge it. Um, right. And I then later learned in a pretty awful way that I had been abandoned. Um, I learned it through (laughs) a fight with my cousin when I was, I think my dad said I was like seven years old and I don't remember this at all, but 
I guess she blurted out like, you, you are a mistake and you shouldn't have been here. That's why your birth mother abandoned you. And, and so I just, yeah, really struggled with that story. Mm-hmm. And, and I also didn't feel like I could talk about it. Um, I didn't want to disappoint my adopted parents. I didn't want to feel ungrateful. I didn't want to seem like I didn't understand what I had. Um, but I held so deeply, you know, the things that I felt like I had lost by not knowing where I came from, by not knowing the beginning of my story or huge parts of who I was, parts of my identity. Um, and so I carried that for a long time, pretty much by myself. I didn't talk to anyone about that internal struggle that I had. Um, and when I was a teenager, I struggled with pretty severe depression, which is when I started therapy for the first time. And it's sort of where I started exploring my story and exploring the impact that it had on me. And and it's where I started giving myself permission to be honest about what I was feeling, like all of what I was feeling, not just the parts that I felt were deemed acceptable by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's sort of where I started really developing a relationship with my own mental health and figuring out what that means and how I could take care of myself and and how important it was to let myself hold space for all of my feelings, yeah, which which I did not do um, for a long time. and And I think during really critical years of my life through childhood, which I think is such a huge time, when we're figuring out who we are and what we mean in the world and what the world means. And when we don't have a sense of safety in, in exploring all of who we are, I think it can be really damaging. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my journey started. And there's of course so much, so much that I could, that I could add to that. Um, but that's sort of, the most general overview. And since then I, yeah, I've been in therapy on and off. I've done a lot of work around understanding my identity and my story and, and so much has unfolded within my family. And I found my entire biological family on the internet on ancestry.com when I was 27, um, which also completely transformed a whole nother part of my life. Um, but yeah, those are some of the the core pieces of who I am that I think really informed who I am now and that allowed me to feel like I could do the work that I think a lot of people don't feel like they can do in terms of healing and changing their inner story and working on themselves. Um, and it was through doing my own work and through my own process and my own experience in therapy that I realized I wanted to hold that space for other people. And I realized how much I valued having that connection with someone and how, yeah, I just really wanted to do that work in my life. And that's sort of the quickest way to describe why I am here right now. (laughs) Oh, I appreciate you sharing. And just, wow. Like it's, um, it's an incredible story and one I, I, you know, was reading about, you know, prior to us chatting here. Um, you know, I'm, I, 
I'm so grateful that that you're doing the work you're doing now, and I, I really want to talk about that. But I, I am also very curious about just, well, a number, I'm very curious about a number of things. But <laughs> one of the things is just the identity piece of it. You know, like I do talk a lot about identity in this in this podcast and how crucial that is. And as you said, it's so crucial to figuring out who we are and and what we're about and what lights us up and what fills us up and what depletes us and all these important uh, components of developing our sense of self and worth and and mm-hmm. place in the world. And so. Help me understand a little bit about the identity sort of struggle and search that you were dealing with as as a kid, as a teenager. Yeah, so I think identity is often a huge struggle for adoptees, no matter what your adoptive story looks like. Um, it's It's something that people who aren't adopted often don't realize is a struggle and and for me personally it was like I remember even in grade school doing like a family tree and and doing all these projects that were about identity and family and heritage and culture and all those things and I just felt so disconnected from it because I didn't know what that was for me and I and you know I could do it about my adoptive parents but it didn't feel really rooted in who I was and where I came from. And it was sort of like, there were just all these reminders all over the place of things that people don't realize are important to, to know about themselves, like where you came from, what your family's history is, um, what your family's story is, what your birth story is, you know, what it was like for your, for your birth parents to conceive you, how, like, what their history was, what they've experienced, like all those things that we carry within us, even if we don't know it. Um, And I felt like I was just sort of cut off from a big chunk of my story. And so I found myself like always wanting to connect to external identities that, that still didn't really fill this piece that I really wanted to fill. Um, And yeah, as a teenager, I think it just got amplified. And I, you know, being a teenager is hard in general. It's a, a very confusing and challenging time for yep. so many people. And when you add in the layer of experiencing depression or experiencing a lack of identity or experiencing, you know, any kind of challenge or hardship, it sort of amplifies the already inherent difficulty and pain of being a teenager and growing through that time and figuring out who you are. Yeah. Um, and, and then there was also just like a lot of guilt and shame for experiencing what I was experiencing and, and a lot of not talking about it, which was pretty painful for me. And, and it made me feel like I, yeah, just didn't have an outlet to explore who I was and didn't have an outlet to explore all of who I was without making someone else uncomfortable. Um, and so I felt, yeah, just kind of trapped and like, I didn't have the space to, to really explore my identity. Um, and I really needed that space. I think, I think we all do. 100%. Yeah. I relate to the, the, 
feeling like I didn't have the space growing up for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting, like, um, and it, you know, when you say like, I, when you say, um, not many people maybe understand how, um, sort of identity fracturing being an adopted, uh, child could be like, it, it makes 100% sense to me that, that you would feel that way. Cause it's, it's the thing about family is it is, it's clear. You have clear lines to who you came from mm -hmm. and, and you're, you're, you have these clear examples, whether they're you know, great in your estimation or not, like there's still like clear bloodlines, right, to these people who represent a thing and you can kind of glean from there. And when you don't have that, yeah, I, I, it makes total sense that you'd feel a bit uh, wayward. And and being a teen and, and sort of adding the depression component, and I, I certainly relate to that. And uh, And then the identity thing with the adoption, like, I mean, that's just, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. So I, I wonder what, when you started feeling and interacting with what later would become depression, did you identify it as such initially? Did you, what did that look like? What did the depression look like for you early on? Yeah, I didn't really identify it as depression. I, I just identified it as feeling yeah, just like this feeling of almost hopelessness. Like I felt like I wouldn't get better. I felt like I wouldn't feel connected to myself. I felt like I wouldn't get over this fear of people leaving. Mm. Um, I I felt like these stories that I was carrying were just cemented and like there was no room for them to change. And so it kind of just felt like, wow, this is just how my life is going to be. Um you know, things like feelings and emotions weren't really talked about in my house. And and so I sort of just felt trapped and it resulted in, yeah, just this internal struggle of like, what's the point? Why, yeah. like what, where will I find like real joy? Where will I find connection to myself? How How will those things happen if this is the way things are? And if I will never get these answers that I've been thinking about for my entire life um did you feel so yeah. suicidal at all yeah i actually attempted suicide when i was 14 mm. um yeah and that was the first time that anyone really realized how much i was struggling and it was a huge shock um to people because i again didn't talk about any of this stuff um until that happened. And that's, yeah, sort of when I continued to explore what all this meant to me and what life meant to me and how I could find meaning in places that I couldn't see it at all before. Yeah. What did you, how did your adopted parents respond to that? You uh, attempting suicide? Um, I mean, they were terrified and surprised and, I think it kind of helped them realize that this really needed to be talked about and addressed and that I really needed space to be able to explore these things. Um, and yeah, there was a huge shift during that time in terms of 
how they were supporting me and how I was connecting with them. Um, and yeah, I think it kind of opened up space to be more honest about how this was showing up in my life and, and it allowed them to, to be more supportive in some of the ways that I needed them to be. Okay. Yeah. So you started talking about your feelings at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I started going to therapy and we went to family therapy. Um, they went with me to like therapy groups and they started getting more involved and it was also kind of their introduction into <laughs> the mental health world. Mm -hmm. Like they had never been in therapy or anything like that. So it was all very new for them. And I think that's really common for a lot of people. Like they're the ones who kind of wake up their family system into <laughs> exploring these things right, um, right. and that was definitely the case definitely the case for me um, how did it feel when you know so coming from the childhood you came from and and feeling like you didn't have that safe space for for me Lisa it was you know my what I did to I essentially sort of shut down from the world. That was sort of like my protective layer against my violent father. And, and that's how and I was protecting my sensitive self, right? From a mm -hmm. world that felt very harsh and I, I couldn't share my feelings. And then when I uh, started self-actualizing, that protective measure sort of became um, something that hurt me because I, 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 couldn't access those feelings yet. I, I still didn't have the tools, right? I didn't have the tools to look inward. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know, even, you know, into my uh, early 20s, you know, mid-20s. Mm -hmm. And it took a while and a lot of therapy to get to that point. But I'm, I was, I'm wondering for you, growing up, not having the space, and then starting to talk about it in therapy, how did that feel? Was it, was it hard? Yeah, it was a combination of relieving and I think there was also a lot of grief mm. like grief around yeah like why didn't I do why couldn't I do this sooner why didn't I have this support sooner why mm. didn't people know that I needed this sooner um why didn't I know that I could talk about this this stuff sooner yeah. and so while it was so relieving to realize that it was okay to to talk about these things and to explore them and to to work on myself in that way and to be honest it was also yeah kind of a reminder of what i didn't have for a while and what i really needed um so it was kind of a combination of of both it was helpful and important and life-changing and it opened up all these other parts of yeah i really needed this a lot sooner than i than i got it yeah and that's uh, beautifully said. And I, it's also like, I think I, it's making me think about how, you know, opening up our hearts, being vulnerable, sharing our feelings. These are things that you and I feel are crucial, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, but they're also simultaneously, while they're crucial and, in, and important parts of self-actualization and connecting and, and growing as humans, they're also at times, uncomfortable and mm -hmm. painful. 
and you know we have to we have to tirelessly work through them and that's that's the thing about like therapy and kind of working through these things that i know that i have to remind myself of because it's not always easy going that route right right and it often gets worse before it gets better absolutely and it often feels harder before it feels more easeful and yeah i think that point is so often not talked about in the conversation and not, I think people don't always have that reminder. And so they can feel like they're doing something wrong or like they're moving backwards or like they're, they're not, you know, healing right or whatever, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's not often this reminder that it is really challenging to explore these things sometimes. And it does bring up a lot that often feels easier to ignore. Like it makes sense why people, want to numb out or avoid or minimize or, you know, pretend like feelings aren't there because confronting them can be painful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was reading, Lisa, like an old blog post of yours and you quoted an EMT, um, you know, say to you essentially, quote, you're far too kind to leave the earth this young, miss. I hope you get the help you need which just melted my heart. And I I just wanted to say, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful you're here as well. Because it's just, uh, you know, it, I I was suicidal in my late teens, and um, early 20s. And gosh, like I, you know, I, I track it back to not having the ability to open my heart, you know, and and that's Mm -hmm. like such a, painful realization and I and I and to your point I grieve for that Mm. and I'm just so happy that you know you overcame that oh thank you I am too and yeah I was so ashamed of that period of my life and of just the fact that I've struggled for a long time and now it's it's not at all something that I want to carry shame around it's not at all something that I want to feel like I have to hide or like I'm like it makes me less professional or less capable of a therapist or a person. And yeah, it took a lot of work to also move through through that, through how to carry my story with with empathy and compassion for myself rather than fear of what people will think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that that you are having these conversations because I think you are helping normalize real human experiences and you're helping remind people that it's it's okay that we that we have had these experiences and it doesn't make us any less human or less strong or less capable or less able if anything it really amplifies the qualities that i think so many people are are striving to grow within themselves um yeah and that's something that i remind myself of often when i think about my story and i think about things that i've been through um, I think about how can I hold these things with compassion and with understanding and with knowing that they made me who I am and I would not be who I am if, if those things hadn't happened. Not that I think those things should have happened, but I think they, they are what allowed me to do the inner work that I needed to do to grow. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to come to terms with that sometimes, you know, when you have experiences that are traumatic and 
hurtful and, and bring, bring so much pain. But, um, you know, when we can get, when we can shift our perspective a bit and framework, uh, and, and allow for that compassion you're talking about and allow for the understanding that, you know, you experience those things, they didn't happen, or maybe they happened to you, but like, they're also maybe out of your control a bit. And giving yourself that a little bit is is so important and has been so important for, for me and my sort of journey as, uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's huge. And I think it's such an important part of the healing process, which is ongoing and ebbs and flows, of course, mm-hmm. but yeah. But yeah, I think finding that ex- that acceptance in your path and in how it showed up within you is so so huge yeah. and can be can be challenging sometimes. I'm glad you said ongoing because it's a thing I like to say often. It's it really is a life journey. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's no there's no end point, you know. There's no I mean, I guess the end point is death or Mm-hmm. beyond death i mean who knows whatever you believe in but like i i think it's like how do you like when you think in terms of the ongoing sort of process of doing that work how does that personally how does that feel does it feel overwhelming at times does it feel exhausting do you want to give in give up a little bit <laughs> I mean, there are definitely times where I'm like, oh, this is coming up again? Really? Like, (laughs) I've done so much work around this. Why is this still here? Like, why is this pattern showing up again? Why am I thinking this thing again that I know is not supportive? And I think there can be this pressure to, like, have it all figured out or to to know all the tools and to implement them 100% of the time or to to know what the right way of of supporting yourself through an experience is and to not always be able to do that the way that you might want to, even with all the healing work that you've done. And I think having that pressure of like being healed or having it, having it have some sort of closure or end is kind of setting us up for feeling like we're failing when, mm. when really I do think healing is so much an ongoing process and it's not linear and it doesn't end and there's no finish point and there's no place that we finally get to where everything is easy and crystal clear and where we've figured it out and made it like yeah our life is is (laughs) less a game of life and more like dungeons and dragons yeah yeah but so often it's talked about especially in this like in wellness culture i think it's so often talked about as like if you do this work you'll get to a place of joy and and you'll get to this place of happiness and positivity and it doesn't make room for the messiness of being human that will always be there for all of us no matter how much inner work we've done right because it's it it doesn't leave us like we still carry our stories even if we've worked through them we still carry our experiences even if we've done the work to to heal and to thrive in spite of them those things are still with us and i think it's yeah it's kind of i'm trying to think of the right word not naive but it's it 
it diminishes our experiences as a human to assume that we should ever completely move past those things. Yeah, it's just, it's narrow, it's narrow minded. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily an intentional narrow mindedness. I think it comes from so yeah. many places. It comes from fear, it comes from just uh, ignorance, you know, lack of education, mm-hmm. uh, lack of the work itself, you know, inner work itself. You know, it comes from so many different places. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, I, I saw someone share the other day on Twitter. Um, he said something along the lines of like, you know, you need to laugh more and then you won't, de- bo- you won't be depressed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can't, uh, those two things sort of can't exist uh, together. Meaning, you know, his, his point is, um, you know, laugh more and you won't have depression, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, to, to your sort of comment on sort of wellness culture and, and that sort of thing, I, I think it's a very, it's very damaging, Right. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, first of all, it's just inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not how it works. Uh, and second of all, it's not, it's just not very compassionate. I think mm-hmm. it's not very, um, it's simplifying a thing that, to use your word, is very messy. That can't be simplified because while we're all very much in this world together and, 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 and I like to be, uh, I like to have that framework. I like to see that we're all humans together, working together. That's important mm-hmm. for me. But we're also supremely unique, you mm-hmm. know, in our experiences. And I think it's very damaging and diminishing, as you point pointed out, to to forget the messy, <laughs> to forget the the feelings, forget the sort of physiological, genetic, biological components of mental illness. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that you said that it's not it's not that anyone is intentionally trying to be dismissive or intentionally trying right. to to avoid letting people have their full experiences. I think it is so much as you said related to fear and related to lack of access to these conversations and lack of access to this information and and sometimes just denial of the reality of it. And it's so understandable that people get into that space. You know, I think it's actually a huge protective factor, I imagine, to sure. to try and live from that space. And I can have so much compassion for for people who don't necessarily know how to acknowledge the fullness of human experience. Um, and I feel so grateful that I've gotten to a point where I can. And I know that so many people don't have that. And yeah, I, similarly to what you said, I just have so much empathy for the fact that not everyone is able to get to that place and not at their own fault most of the time. Yeah. And I, that's like, I think a perfect um, transition into like the work you're doing now, which I, I just like, I love that you felt, you know, growing up, you didn't have the space to be seen, to to um, yeah, to be seen, to be witnessed as a as a human, and now you're creating that for others, which is just such a beautiful gift. Tell me a little bit about the you know you you talk about it a bit on your website, but like the core of what your therapy is about. Tell me a little bit about that for for the listeners' sake. 
Yeah. So it's really about creating a space and creating a safe relationship for people to be radically honest and for that to be held and witnessed and supported and seen and heard. And I think that is the core of therapy, really, no matter what kind of therapy someone is doing. I think creating that space, that safe space for someone and allowing people to feel seen and heard exactly where they are and, mm. and to have that be okay and to have it not be judged or fixed or criticized or, you know, put into a box is so powerful. And like that alone is such a healing experience. Yeah. Um, and so I really, yeah, strive to lead my work with that value, knowing how important it was for me too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's it's coming from a professional standpoint, of course, but also it's very personal. And I think I am able to to show up for people in that way because I know what it's like to be on the other side of the office. I know what it's like to to have that space held for me. And I know how healing it is. Um, and I also I really value collaboration. I really value being a human in the room with another human and and not feeling like I need to to have this sort of professional sort of stuffy hat on all the time. Um, <laughs> I think. How many like, stuffy hats do you wear? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Are they top hats? Are they yeah. berets? What kind of stuffy hats do you wear? <laughs> <laughs> I try not to wear them at all. There Good. is pressure to wear them, but. I try not to because I wit like I, I experience how how much more impactful work I can do when I don't when I don't force myself to fit into this mold of what what we're taught therapy should should look like. Um, and of and course, what is that? I'm, what is I'm curious about? Like, what is what is that pressure? Um, I think there's just you know in grad school we're taught to stay small and we're taught to have a very blank slate and not let anyone know anything about us and not answer any personal questions and continue to reflect back to the client and continue to get curious about why the client's asking a question or why they want to know this about you. And we're taught to stay really private and to not let ourselves be seen in any way. And Mm. we're taught to like, just stay really neutral and, and I think, you know, some people work that way and and some people need that kind of work as a client too. And I think that's great if it works for you and it doesn't work for me. It doesn't feel authentic to me. It doesn't feel human. It It feels like it's leaving out a core piece that I have found so valuable and important in therapeutic work. Um and so while, of course, I have boundaries and, of course, you know, I am never the topic of conversation in a room and I don't bring up my own story with my clients, like, I I do find myself letting myself be a little more human and not, not backing away from that as much. And, you know, even sharing 
parts of my story online where potential clients could see it and yeah. where other other therapists see it. You know, there's been a lot of, I wouldn't say judgment, but a lot of questioning around like, are you sure you want people to know that about you? Or from are colleagues? you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. From colleagues. Um, and to me, it's like that, that's just, that's such a big part of what makes me do this work. And it feels wrong to feel like I need to hide that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, of course, it doesn't come up in sessions with clients, but to feel like I'm not allowed to, to talk about it or share about it or, you know, explain why it really informs the work that I do feels like I'm not letting myself be seen yeah. either. Yeah, it, it would seem counterintuitive to your whole ethos. Right. And there's, yeah, there's so much pressure to, like, be really particular about what you share and why. Mm. And I am, and I am, like, I, you know, I know, I know that some people might hear my story and feel like, oh, I don't know if I would want to work with a therapist who I know that about them. Like, what would that mean? Mm. Um, which is okay. And I think it's, yeah, important for me to keep leaning back into my values and my why and my intention with sharing. And it is to normalize therapy, to humanize therapy, to, to remind people that we're all on this path together. Like we're all traveling the same path in our own different ways. And, and I'm certainly not an expert on anyone. And, and I think it's important for me to lean back into, into that when I think about what I'm sharing and why. Yeah. I, it is a thing that I've noticed, you know, um, and by thing, I mean, therapists who, who do show up as, as more human and less kind of like, you know, whatever the corporate sort of uh, fill in or whatever. And mm -hmm. that's not a judgment. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a different style. Um, right. And I, I see more and more therapists doing that. And I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful and progressive. And I, I, I personally connect to it more than the other option because it's just, as you said, it's just more human. Like it, it allows me to maybe uh, reflect you're, you're being more of a mirror back, back to me you know mm -hmm. um and i that that type of um connection is more meaningful for me because it allows me to relate better and feel maybe a little less alone or what have you yeah yeah and i do try to be very you know if i do share a story or an example of something i've experienced or whatever it may be in what i write and in what i share publicly i do try to be mindful about like, how might this impact people? What might people respond to this with? And, and I try to let it be okay that it doesn't have to be for everyone. And, and I don't have to be the right fit for the work everyone is doing. But I, I think it's allowed me to connect with the clients who resonate with the work that I do in such a profound way. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful lesson in life and, and understanding and coming to terms with can't please everyone? Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's hard, you know, I, (laughs) I call myself a people pleaser in recovery because (laughs) for a long time, yeah, I really needed to be liked. I needed to be accepted. I needed everyone to, to like what I said and like what I did. And, and it was again, like me not having an identity. (laughs) And now that I feel more, yeah, just more grounded in who I am, it's, it's easier to feel grounded in what I say and what I choose to share and know that that I have a purpose and a reason and an intention behind the things that I do and and it'll really connect with the people that need it and the people who don't need it will find what they need somewhere else and that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So, you know, you talk about sort of a core part of your practice is is really meeting people where they are, seeing them, you know, truly seeing them. And I, I talked a lot about a bit about this in episode seventy four, um, which was all about validation, mm-hmm. and uh, I shared an experience I had with my mom, which was very deeply personal and upsetting. But I, I wonder, and I, I shared some tips in that episode about like how we can better sort of meet people where they are. Do mm-hmm. you do you have sort of tips on that? You know, not not as a therapist, but just as, as a human, you know, do you have, what works for you in terms of really holding space and meeting people and seeing them? Yeah. So I think presence is huge and kind of almost like shutting off an agenda that you might have in the conversation and just really witnessing what the other person is sharing or saying or feeling And I think being able to do that, even if you don't agree and being able to put your story or experience on hold so that you can fully show up for another person, even if it's counteracting with something that you're feeling or experiencing is so huge because it creates a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. It, It creates a sense of, I can hold what you're saying, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, even if it counteracts with a story that I have, even if it brings something up for me, like I can take personal responsibility for my reaction and response to you so that I can show up for you fully. Um, And I think that can also look like leading with curiosity rather than judgment or criticism, which I think we can sometimes automatically feel, but getting getting curious about that and and reminding ourselves like, oh, I'm going to approach, I'm going to approach this experience, just being curious about what is coming up for the person in front of me and, and being really curious and compassionate towards their experience and, and maybe putting mine on hold for now so that I can fully witness theirs. And I think so often when we're trying to hold space for people, our stuff might come up, you know, we might feel defensive or we might feel like, we have to explain ourselves or like we don't understand or like we want to fix it or whatever it may be. And I think being aware of that and knowing that we all tend to have those tendencies can help us sort of lean back into presence and lean back into being mindful of how we are responding to someone and how we are holding space for what they are choosing to share with us, which I don't think people do lightly. I think it's an honor for someone to share something. And I think anytime we can slow down and, and step into that moment with them, we are 
offering themselves and ourselves a huge gift of like real connection. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so well said. I, <laughs> when, when you were speaking, it made me think of the movie Goonies, uh, which <laughs> I'm sure you've seen. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, otherwise we'd have to end this conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that scene where Mikey says, it's my time, my time down here, or it's our time, our time down here. Um, mm -hmm. It made me think of that because it's really, it's not about us, you know, uh, holding that space. It's it's about them. It's about showing up for them and, and listening and being empathetic and, and, you know, not, you know, all the things you said, not being judgmental, being curious and, and um yeah. So be more like Mikey, I guess. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think also like seeking out people who can do that for us too. Sure. Yeah. So that we know we also have that space. I think that can be such a good model of making it easier to hold that space for other people too. Like knowing what it feels like, knowing totally. that we have that as well, knowing that we will have our time too when we need it. And I think that's a huge piece is also having that for ourselves so that we do have the capacity and the container and the awareness to do so for other people. Yeah. Yeah. How important is empathy for you as, as a therapist? I mean, it's, it's everything. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's what I was hoping not everything, you were saying, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, I think it's potentially the most important thing, you know, more important than finding a solution or using an intervention or figuring out what to do or what to say. It's like leading with empathy is what creates safety and connection and vulnerability and room to explore and room to be honest and space to know that it's okay to do that. You know, when we're met with empathy, we feel more freedom to show up as ourselves. And that's what we need, I think, to do this work. I think we need to know that it's okay to show up as all of who we are. And mm -hmm. it's critical that we know someone's holding space for that. And so often we don't have that in our day-to-day -day lives, not because people don't want to or because people aren't able to, but I think it's not often something that everyone is taught how to do, and right. it's not something that everyone has experienced for them either. And so it makes it challenging to really show up for people in that way, I think, unless it's something that we're actively tapping into. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, leading with empathy is, is always the right thing. I'm glad you said that. You know, this shows a little bit about empathy. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you being, uh, sort of bringing, you know, a, a bit of yourself into your, th your very human centered, um, therapy, how has that been sort of online, you being this highly regarded, uh, very popular <laughs> Instagram poet? It's been a little scary. <laughs> um, yeah, when I started my Instagram account, I 
had literally no idea that it would grow in the way that it has. I thought that I would connect with some people and that I would, you know, resonate with some people and maybe share some things that might be helpful (laughs) for a handful of people. But to have it grow in the way that it has, has been really overwhelming. Um, in a it's beautiful not surprising way. to me because <laughs> it is like what you share is so like I, I I feel like I know you like it's very it's very like I see your heart in everything and it's such a connecting mm-hmm. feeling. I'm so glad that it comes across that way. Um, and writing has always been something that I have loved. It's been something that has taught me about myself and has given me room to explore and reflect and find insight. And so it just seems natural to use my passion for writing and my passion for for this work, for emotional health, for mental health, and to find ways of sort of bridging those things. Um, and it's been a little, yeah, it's been a little scary to step out into the public realm. Yeah. Um, just because of so much of what I said earlier, like ideas about what therapy should be and what therapists should be doing and what they should and shouldn't be sharing. And um, I really think that paradigm is starting to shift, um, which has been really amazing to be a part of. And I just feel like it's been such a reminder that so many of us want the same thing. So many of us want to belong and to connect and to know we're not alone and to know that we're not the only ones working through these things. And so many people are wanting to do this inner work and are wanting to learn about themselves and find compassion for themselves and for other people. And I think the more and more people that connect to what I share, the more I'm just seeing that, yeah, so many people are wanting the same thing, which is really inspiring it's probably very validating too right yeah absolutely it's absolutely validating and yeah it just feels like a gift to me too to be able to to share in this way and to be able to let myself be human in front of so many people and and to yeah, just to connect about these themes that I think impact all of us in different ways. Um, I've learned so much and I continue to learn so much from everyone that I feel grateful enough to connect with on that platform. Yeah. And what is the overall audience sort of reaction been to, you know, your, your stuff on Instagram? It's been really powerful. You know, I hear so often like, I needed to hear this exact thing today and like dozens of people will say that. And, and it's like, sometimes the things that I write, I write because I need that reminder too. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just, it's amazing to see again, that we're not alone and that people can connect to whatever post or whatever I might share that resonates with them and, and read through the comments and see wow, other people are experiencing this too, or other people have utilized this too, or, you know, I'm not the only one. And I think that alone is incredibly healing and profound to know that 
there's nothing wrong with you for experiencing X, Y, or Z. And, and I think that's, yeah, so much of why I share what I share is to remind people that it's okay to be human. And that entails so much for all of us. And, and also it, it holds so much similarity for all of us too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I'm so grateful for that. You know, that I think, you know, creating those spaces for people to just feel less alone is so important. Um, cause you know, <laughs> it's hard, as we pointed out earlier, it's hard to know what to look for or recognize it and, and have the tools to even find it. You know, we don't have the telescopes to find those things, you know? And, and so when you, when something like your work pops up online and, and you see these very, just connecting very healing, you know, messages, very, very compassionate, empathetic mes- messages. It's such a, for me, like it's such a great uh, reminder that I'm not alone, a great reminder that I'm connected with this other human, you know, that this uh, very smart therapist, you know, is, is not a superhuman, you know, she's just like us, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's it's lovely. It's all very lovely. Oh, thank you. I'm just really, yeah, I feel very lucky that so many people have connected to it. And it kind of feels like a little community, which I think is another huge part of healing is finding community, even if it is through a social media platform. Like, I think that's very real for so yeah. many people. And yeah, it's just an honor to be a tiny little part of whoever might be reading what I share. That's very, um, that's very nice and uh, humbled uh, perspective. Um, Can you tell me a little bit, maybe you don't have any information yet, but um, you're working on a book. uh, I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Possibly, potentially, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not allowed to share very much yet. Um, It's still in the very early process. I still have to finish writing it. Um, I just signed the contract. So congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's all very new and exciting and overwhelming. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm really, yeah, I'm very excited though. And it's, Yeah, it's related to so much of what I write about. It's related to our stories and healing and finding ways to to change the the way we hold our experiences. Um, And I hope that it's just a very accessible and relatable and digestible and compassionate tool that people can can hold and carry and utilize when they need it. Um, and I'm really excited to, to share more when I can. I'm very excited about it. Do you, do you have any sort of ETA on pub publication date? Um, not yet. Okay. Still figuring it out. It'll be a ways out because yeah. the book is not even written yet. Sure. So yeah. Um, and, but I'll definitely share that when I, when I know more. Awesome. Uh, and do you, uh, can you share the publisher you're working with? Yeah, I'm working with Simon and Schuster. Awesome. Great. Yeah. One of the biggies. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> yeah, strange and exciting. <laughs> Very cool. And how did that come about exactly? Did they reach out to you or did you pitch pitch something? 
Yeah. So, um, a, a literary agent reached out to me on Instagram and asked if I had ever thought of writing a book. Um, and then, uh, an editor from Simon and Schuster also reached out to me and asked if I've ever thought of writing a book. And at that point I had been working on a proposal, um, and sent the proposal out to a bunch of people and several publishing houses were interested in it. And, and I ended up picking Simon and Schuster because the editor had already been following my work and was really aligned with my vision and was just already really supportive of the way that I'm sharing this work and my voice and was connected to what I was doing. And so it felt like a natural fit. Um, and she's really, really amazing. That's so nice. I, I know, you know, my day job is writer editor and I know how important the relationship between the writer editor can be, you know, especially in terms of the aligned vision and, and, you know, the sort of, buy into the, the, the core of what the message is, you know? So that's great that you have that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Just really humbling to know that she was, yeah, that she wanted to support what I'm doing in a bigger way. That's so cool. Well, I'm very excited about the book and I, I would love to have you on again, you know, uh, just to promote it, you know, whenever that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, before we start kind of wrapping up here, I did have a fun question for you. Not that mm -hmm. all my questions haven't been fun, but this was just, <laughs> you know, not mental health related necessarily. Any yeah. favorite recent TV show, movie, book, re or and or recipe you want to share? Oh, my gosh. Um, <sighs> I'll give you a moment. I'll, I'll go first and say that uh, my partner and I just finished uh, Good Omens, the Neil mm. Gaiman, um, you know, and Terry Pratchett book adapted by Neil Gaiman for Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. It is fantastic. It's funny. It's silly. It's dark. It's existential. It's mm. uh, makes you think about the very important lesson, which is uh, the gray, you know, what's in the gray. It's not sort of a black and white linear perspective. That's, that's necessarily the best approach to yeah. life, you know, and it's um, the production value is like astonishing. And David Tennant plays a demon and Michael Sheen plays a, a, an angel. And they have this like, it's not a romance because they're friends, but it, it does feel like mm -hmm. a romantic comedy in a sense because they have this beautiful relationship that spans, you know, since the dawn of time. And it's it's only six episodes. It's on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. and it's amazing. Awesome. I am going to write that down because it, that sounds amazing and it sounds like my partner would really like it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um Last night I saw a movie. I saw The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, how was that? And it was so beautiful. I don't want to say even anything about it, honestly, but I highly recommend it. It was visually stunning and the music in it was incredible. The themes of the film are so important and yeah, it was really beautifully done. Um, so I would highly recommend it. And in terms of a book... Um, How to Not Always Be Working by Marley Grace is a book that I've been recommending a lot. I love um, that title. 
Yeah, it's like a little, it's like a radical guidebook towards how to not always be working and how to reconnect with your creativity and disconnect from this idea that we have to be productive and working constantly. And it has a lot of tangible tools and insights and things to practice to, yeah, just kind of reconnect to these other parts of ourselves that often get lost. That sounds amazing. Um, I recently read Educated. Oh, um, yeah. I have you, it and I haven't read it yet. It's, <laughs> it's on my list. It's uh, thoroughly fascinating. And, yeah, you know, for the listeners, it's by Tara Westover. She grew up in a very strict, uh, odd uh, childhood, you know, in a Mormon household where her father was very much into kind of conspiracies and the Illuminati and, and fear of government. And uh, gosh, like what she went through and that, that, that childhood was so strange and at times very violent and uh, upsetting. And, mm-hmm. and, and then she comes out of it, you know, I, I won't spoil everything, but like just her journey is remarkable. You know, what she, what she sort of overcame and, and has, has sort of poured into this memoir, which is just, uh, very well written. And, uh, she's, you know, I think she's much younger than me, so I feel very envious, but (laughs) it's fantastic. And it's, it's, uh, something, um, I think everyone should read. Yeah. That one is definitely on my list. Nice. My very long list. <laughs> oh my gosh. The list is endless. <laughs> yes, it really, really is. You probably saw me Instagram storying my bookshelves. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just I know. nonstop. I books, know. Books I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just love being surrounded by books. Like, even though maybe I can't read them all in my lifetime, it's still just such a, there's something about being surrounded by books that's just very comforting for me. Oh, yes, I can absolutely relate. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, even knowing that you might not read all of them, just having them to grab if you want to digest a little bit and knowing that you're surrounded by all of this information and perspective and education and insight is, yes. inspi- it's inspiring. Yes, that's what it's really about is is finding new perspectives, uh, learning from different diverse voices, you know, allowing us to, allowing our own sort of framework to be challenged and shaped and molded, you know, by other, other ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of very much more powerful. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we always wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes, Lisa. This is the mm-hmm. part of the show where my guest and I uh, mention someone in our lives. It could be someone we know, could be an author, could be, um, uh, you know, a character from uh, a book or a movie, just someone who embodies uh, just a great empathetic soul. I will go first to give you a moment to think on your empathy hero. Mm-hmm. My empathy hero this week, and it goes back to the the show that I was watching, Good Omens, my empathy hero is Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. the, um, the author of many great uh, and hilarious fantasy books. Uh, he died a few years ago. Um, just fantastic. And I love this quote from him. He says, quote, the presence of those seeking the truth is infinitely to be preferred to the presence of those who think they've found it, end quote. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? 
That's amazing. It's just like for me, it reminds me that like it's the journey. It's we're, it's that's the journey we're talking about. It's it's we're always seeking new truths. We're always growing and learning, and it's and it's ebbs and flows, and it's ups and downs, and it's and the moment we think we found that truth or have won right or have gotten to that finish line, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's 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 the struggle part. That's not that's not. That's not what it's about, right? And mm-hmm. I just love that quote from Terry Pratchett. It's a good reminder for me. Yeah, I love that quote too. I'm going to relook that up and write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I always write down quotes that are resonating with me and reflect back on them often. Lovely. Yeah. Um, the person that comes to mind first is my sister. Um, she's a year older than me and... Her heart is just so pure and the way that she sees the world and sees humans just makes me full of hope. Um, She is a photographer and she has used her photography to travel and meet people who often go unnoticed and sit with people who often go unheard and hear their stories and capture them in her photos. Um, And she just approaches the world with this beautiful curiosity and openness. And she always sees the best in people. Um, And yeah, she just, she inspires me every day and reminds me of how good people are. Um, Mm. and she makes me want to keep being a better person too. Uh, that's so lovely. And what a, she sounds like an amazing feely human. She is. (laughs) She really is. And very, you know, the, it's interesting that she can, and it's so beautiful that she can show up for people and, and do similar work that you're doing, but with a camera, right? Mm -hmm. Which is Mm -hmm. so, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, very inspiring. Very cool. Well, Lisa, where can the listeners uh, connect with you and uh, read more about your work uh, and all that lovely stuff? Yeah. So I think my Instagram, that's where I share the most. Um, and you can find me there at Lisa Oliveira Therapy. Um, and yeah, there's links to some articles and my website and things like that there. Um, but I, yeah, tend to share on that platform the most. And that's where I typically connect with people. Yeah, on a day to day basis. Great. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for being a guest on You Me Empathy. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for inviting me and for everything that you were doing to promote this important work. Well, thank you. And to you listeners, I'm here, you're here, we're here together. On this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot, we have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Empathy.